episode you are about to hear contains explicit words. The opinions we see are those of the hosts and in no way imply that anyone listening to this podcast agrees with anything we say. Please send complaints to this flippin' podcast at gmail.com. Welcome, everyone, to this flipping podcast. We took a little five-month vacation. <laughs> Life changed severely for some of us. <laughs> I'm Tommy Skinner. I'm with my uh, partner in crime, Taylor Reese. And we are recording because we have a very special guest today uh, that is going to be discussing a brand new pinball game. So, uh, Mr. Baldridge, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me, Taylor and Tommy. Um, Absolutely. I- I'm really excited to be here tonight and uh, on your podcast to talk about the release of my new game, Drained, for Multimorphics P3. Uh, super exciting! Um, hello, everybody. Yeah, Tommy and I. Tommy and I have uh, we've been busy, um, but not not too busy to not talk to our, our good friend Nick. Um, I'm I'm fortunate that I'm local to Nick's, uh, which I've mentioned before, but I've actually had a chance to play Drains. And I will say that we are recording on a very rainy, dreary night in Richmond, Virginia, where Nick and I both live near. And um, I just had to run out and help my wife not change her tire. So um, I'm feeling a little flustered, but I am, um, I'm thrilled, I'm thrilled to, um, to be talking about your game this is your second this is your second game with multimorphic now or i mean i know you've done three but i didn't know if this because you did ranger in the ruins Mm -hmm. and then the other what was the other how many have you done now uh silver falls was the second one and flipper foxtrot rhythm explosion was the third and drained is the fourth so and um drained is it the first physical layout you've designed for the machine right correct and i I think before we go any further we should just do a quick summary uh, of the p3 to let people know i know we've discussed it before but in case anyone new and random is listening uh the p3 is a pinball machine built by the company multimorphic and its big premise is essentially the back one third of the play field is interchangeable Um, And not only is it interchangeable, you can also program different games on the physical layouts that have already been designed and exist. Their biggest, most recent uh, first licensed game was the Weird Al game, Museum of Natural Hilarity. Um, That really kind of finally drew them into the mainstream. But you've been working on the platform for years now. I've been interested for years. I ordered mine a year and a year and four months ago, a year and three months ago at this point. Um, and it finally got delivered not too long ago and I'm still waiting on some more play fields. And that's one of the reasons I've been so interested in seeing the process as you've designed this game, uh, sharing a lot of it publicly as you've gone through. And then finally like us getting to see some of the artwork and some more of the details and Taylor, I'm very jealous that you've gotten to play it already. And when I tried to talk to you about it, you were like, kind of hush, hush Dick which was like, I get it, but I just wanted to know if you had a good time and you were like, uh, what do you know? And I was like, I don't, I'm asking you, you played it. And then that was all I heard. 
That's okay. I was I was told not to talk about it. I that's I, okay. <laughs> I understood. I, just, I knew what was going on. I get it. Thank I you, Taylor. You, you passed the test. Yeah, he thank passed. you. He didn't tell me anything. He's like, "Well, have you seen it?" And I was like, "I saw the Whitewood that he posted publicly," and I think I got like no reply after that. I was like, "All right, all right, cool." <laughs> um. Well, wel- welcome, Nick. Thanks for thanks for thank letting you. us be a um. Thanks for let thanks for joining us to talk about your game. I'm you know I'm super thrilled for you that you've got your first like module done, and I that I because that's pretty much what it that's what is that what it's referred to in P three is mm-hmm. like a what's the back area what do you guys call it the P three family playfield module yeah. playfield playfield module, module. Yeah. so this is your first one and I mean I think I. I think you should just tell us about how you came up with the game, why you decided to actually do your own module opposed to what you've done before where you've utilized an existing P3 module. Um, Yeah, just, I mean, just tell us about the game and we can get as deep as you want to get into it. Um, There's a lot, there's a great, uh, Nick just released a podcast. Now, I'm not exactly sure when we're we're releasing this. but there is a great podcast that Nick just released with the um, the person, and I'll let Nick give his name because I'm blanking on it. The audio um, side of the game, just I just listened to that I think yesterday, which was great. But it really listening to that, you really understand like how much it went into this game. So, Nick, why don't you just start breaking it down for us, man? Sure. Um, yeah that that podcast was with Charles Wolf. And he composed the music and sound effects for the game. Um, I have built, actually, this is my uh, fifth game for the P3. The first one was was a homebrew effort. Um, and I just wanted to kind of learn the platform, figure out how to make games on the software side of things. And uh, I enjoyed it so much that I started making these other software games uh, utilizing existing playfield layouts. Um, and Ranger in the Ruins uh, was the first effort after that homebrew effort. Um, and that was my first commercial game on the platform. So through that, I learned uh, quite a bit more about what it takes to make a commercial game, make it viable, make it something that is uh, has the, the coin-op features which are necessary uh, for both a home environment and an arcade environment. Um, And then I utilized that knowledge and kind of built on it for these other games that I've made on different playfield modules uh, that I own. So I'm also a customer, a happy customer of Multimorphic. And I just enjoy the, the concept of having a pinball machine that I can reprogram and create an entirely new experience using the same playfield layout. But I also enjoy uh, designing playfields. And I've got a few different concepts. And the first one that I wanted to work on was Drain, this this game. Um, one of the things that I find uh, can be unusual in modern games is an arrangement uh, that's similar to some EM games. So EM games, I think, especially wood rail games, are 
a perfect mix of risk and reward. So you're, you're spending a lot of time building up different aspects of your game and then cashing in uh, in points or in replays or what have you um, by hitting specific shots or by completing certain objectives. And so modern games tend to reward in different ways. They tend to reward with um, light shows or uh, big sound buildups, um, mechanical movements, those kind of things. Those are rewarding as well, and they're fun. Um, so not to diminish that at all, but uh, I think that it is interesting to be able to approach uh, a gameplay mechanic like uh, a single-level play field with a ton of mechanical action in the back third um, in a modern context. And so the P3 allows me to do that. So with Drained, what I started with was the layout that I had drawn. And I am kind of <laughs> old school in some ways. Um, I, I draw on uh, vellum paper, which is like a, like a tracing paper, an art paper. And uh, I have this uh, huge roll of it. So I can roll it out to the size of a pinball play field and then figure out using uh, rulers and drafting tools the angles uh, for bounces and, and so forth. So before I actually cut any wood, I have a layout basically completed, you know, it needed some tweaking, but the basics were there on paper. From the layout, then uh, I cut a rough white wood and I had, I've had uh, help from a lot of different friends. Uh, uh, a, friend named Coleman Martin uh, did all of my CNC work um, and I'm very thankful for his help. He CNC'd uh, just the blank um, module pieces, which then I routed out for targets and inserts and everything. Um, and that's, that's how I did my initial placement, just with uh, <laughs> hand marking on the wood, routing it out by hand. Uh, drilling, installing things, tweaking things, filling in, uh, moving things around. But uh, the things that I added add up to that kind of retro experience. So um, up in the in the top third, I've added uh, upper slingshots, and they're angled towards these two curved banks of targets. Um, those targets are key. And I took the idea from that, for that, from uh, a game called Target Pool by Gottlieb. It's an EM game where uh, you plunge, and as you come down the center, there is this triangular shape, and you're trying to hit just a tremendous number of targets, which are angled on either side. When you do that, it enables a roving replay feature, so you hit a specific target, you get a reward. Um, so those that angle and that those specific angles of the slingshots have been modified slightly to uh, change the gameplay experience. But the other interesting thing about the P3 is that there's no plunge. So you don't plunge straight up into the center. Instead, the balls are launched from the back. And I wanted to utilize that feature in an interesting way as well. So 
I added two banks of drop targets, which are right in front of the launchers. Uh, I say right in front, but they're they're a little distance away. And uh, when you launch the ball, it fires into the drop targets and then can ricochet back into the pop bumper. And there's a single pop bumper mounted in the center in the upper area. Or it can fall down and hit the slingshots on either side or just roll out and down to the flipper. And the way everything is constructed, the ball typically rolls down to either the left or right flipper. Um, so you generally have a bite at the apple there. <laughs> um, so on the gameplay side and the layout side, changing that up a bit was was key. So the draw targets, the pop bumper, and uh, because there's no entryway, I was able to squeeze in another two targets that are behind the um, drop targets, the drop target banks behind the pop bumper. And the angles of those drop target banks are set in such a way that you can sweep the entire bank. If you have the angle just right, it'll not only sweep and clear that bank, but it'll also hit one of those targets behind the pop bumper and then fall back down onto the pop bumper. So it's a pretty cool little effect if you happen to get your geometry dialed in just so. <laughs> um, but on the risk-reward side, and there's a ton which I can talk about this, but uh, I've added a feature which hasn't been present on any pinball machine commercially made since 1964, and that's the gobble hole. So the use, the use of the gobble hole is also great. And I have to say that um, I, I will say since I, I've actually played the game before and I think it's really interesting because it's, you know, it's, it seems relatively minimal. I mean, there's a lot to the module that Nick built because it's just packed with targets and stuff like that. But when you're playing it, it, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. Like the P3, is an interesting platform because you really have that just that upper third but i didn't feel like it doesn't feel like it's sparse and then you just have this chunk of stuff up top um and there yeah it's i don't know it's it was really interesting playing it because it just seems like oh there's just i don't know like you just have these these targets and it's like oh this is gonna be i don't know it's it's a it's a absolutely different experience um than anything that I can remember playing. And like, you know, the play field is packed and the way that it plays, like the ball is kicking out and stuff like that. It is really, it's, it's a really fascinating, it's a really fascinating modern pinball. Like, I don't know, there's nothing else like it that I can, that I can think of. Like, I don't know. Um, did I'm sorry. I I just I I think it's just the gobble hole just got me because when I walked up to the game and I saw that there was a gobble hole, I was like, of course there's a gobble hole. But then of course the way that the way that it's tied into the rules is just amazing. So I'll let you I'll let you keep going. Well, sorry. Yeah. So um thanks thanks for that, Taylor. Because yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to describe. And I know I'm just kind of feeding you a lot of word salad here, but uh <laughs> I just wanted to to give you an idea of how this was all created on the geometry side and the way it all comes together is, uh, you know, mixing together the elements of the sound package, the art package, 
and uh, uh, the light shows, you know, everything works in concert and everything has been thought out very carefully uh, to enhance the player's experience in some way. Um, so the gobble hole, even though a gobble hole is traditionally very punishing. Um, so there are some layouts where there are six, seven different gobble holes on a play field uh, that were utilized back in the fifties. And some of those games are insanely fun, despite the punishing nature of losing your ball constantly. <laughs> uh, if you get dialed into the way those games play, uh, the reward that you can get from those games is just fascinating. Uh, and the way that they build and uh, can carry over. So a gobble hole has a lot of stigma because it's a second drain on the play field. You can shoot a shot and then lose your ball, which is kind of a, a big bummer. But if you do it just right and you you build up your game and you have something uh, special happening on the play field, then it doesn't have to be a big bummer because it's this huge rewarding shot. It's right. I kind of think it's like uh, outlane specials. So on a lot of EM games, you complete whatever sequence they have, and then it lights up a special that alternates outlanes. That's kind of a bummer because you got to drain in order to get it. Um, so those games I've always felt have the wrong kind of reward or reinforcement because it's making you drain out of a side in order to get that, that reward. But if you can shoot a shot and in this case, it's right up the center, it is straight up the play field. So you have to hit it with intention. Um, but when you do, it feels really good. At least I think so. <laughs> so would you agree, Taylor? Yeah, I, I yeah, the gobble hole is real. Yeah, it's like I felt like every time I was trying to make it, I just could not do it. And then, yeah, I would just I would nail it. I would nail it when I was trying to, to hit anywhere on the play field. I, I think you need to talk about. So the gobble hole is basically to me, it seems like that's your almost like a super jackpot shot or something. Mm -hmm. you're, you're building a value or you're, you're, you're strategically trying to build up to qualify that gobble hole so that it is actually worth something. Right. Right. That's fair to say. Correct. Um, yeah. I think, I think if you get into the rules and kind of explain how the gobble hole becomes something you want to shoot for, <laughs> it'll make a lot of sense because that's yeah. where, I think the thing that really hooked me on playing it was that the rule set is relatively simple. Um, there's a lot of nuances to it, but but it's relatively simple. And then you do, you have that, the gobble hole becomes like the most important shot. And the struggle to make it after you build it up to the point where you want to make it is really, it's just like you're just always kind of like on edge about um, you know, can I collect? Can I have I qualified it? Should I shoot it now? Because and then there, isn't there a way to? Yeah, you've got to describe the game. Like you've got to describe the gameplay. Like just the basics of like how many balls you have, the way that the ball count works, right? Because there's certain. Mm -hmm. Can't you add a ball and stuff yep. like? Yeah, if you get into that, I think it'll it'll help make sense of that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I guess the part that. I haven't talked about it at all is what the game is. And it's, it's themed uh, based on vampires. 
And so that, that was kind of the, the starting point. And the, the deal is that you're two different friends who become unwitting vampire hunters. And you, you stumble across this castle one day when you're walking with your friend in the park. And inside there's this coffin and it's sitting on top of, of this dais or, or this set of stairs right at the top of the play field. So what you're attempting to do when you launch the ball, there are two targets which are lit and they're the targets on either side of the gobble hole and they're named Slay and Vamp. If you hit those targets, the vampire will wake up and the coffin will open. Uh, and at that point, you're battling the vampire. So there's 15 different vampires in the game and each one is essentially its own mode. So there are different targets or sets of targets that you have to clear uh, in order to stun the vampire and make it easier to hit the gobble hole. You can hit the gobble hole at any time during the game, of course. If you hit it while uh, the vampire is still asleep, you just lose your ball. You die. Uh, if you have awakened the vampire, it's called a sneaky staking. So you, you sneak into the gobble hole. And that gives you a particular set of bonus award. And if you clear the vampire's mode, then you get a much higher reward. Um, so essentially, the targets which are laid out all over the play field are different tools that you can use to fight the vampire. So on the left-hand side, you've got a bank of six targets which spells garlic. On the right-hand side, you have a bank of six that spells stakes. The drop targets are mirrored, and they spell mirror. Um, and the targets behind the pop bumper are holy water. There's also uh, an additional four targets in the front. So flanking, slay, and vamp, you have flaming torch and silver sword. So if you collect all the tools and complete the vampire's mode, you get the biggest reward. But each of these different sequences can stack, and they can stack within the vampire's mode as well. So you're constantly moving towards something. Some tool is being collected, or you're um, completing shots which stun the vampire, um, those kind of things. Uh, so the game is, uh, by default, it's five ball. Because there are two different drains on the play field, I wanted kind of that uh, old school feel. So you have five chances to kill vampires. And in a perfect game, you can actually slay 10 vampires. Now, if you have five balls and you have to lose one in the gobble hole, you might be asking how you can do that. And as Taylor mentioned, there's an add a ball feature. So if you complete stakes the first time, a second ball will launch. And while both balls are active, you can actually shoot one and slay a vampire and then use the second one to start and complete a second vampire. Um, so there's a lot of nuance in there with how you choose to approach the game. Uh, you can just go straight for the vampires and try to knock them out as quickly as possible. One of the testers... Uh, really enjoyed the challenge of trying to complete 10 in a single game. Uh, it took him quite a while to do it, but he, he did eventually get there. Um, that's not an every game occurrence, though. Um, 
the other challenge would be completing these different tools. If you complete uh, these sequences or sets of tools and then start the vampire battle, it will spot uh, some of the vampire shots for you in the mode. So you get kind of freebies and it changes the remaining shots that you have or it reduces the remaining shots that you have in those modes. So um, everything's adjustable though. So if you don't like a five ball game and um, I, I would encourage anybody who gives it a try to try it at five ball and see what you think. But if you think that's too long playing or you would like to make a change, you can always reduce it down. You can bring it down to a single ball per game if you want to. Um, for each ball that you remove, though, it will give you an additional spotted target. Um, so at the start of each ball, before you launch the ball, it'll flash up a thing and say, hey, you got some targets spotted. Um, and those will uh, work towards your sequence completion. And they're applied at semi-random <laughs> they actually work in the player's favor in different ways but um you can spot targets in multiple ways actually within the game while you're playing so even on a five ball game you can still spot targets you can spot them at the in lanes and out lanes and you can rotate those you can spot them by hitting the side targets and completing those or by completing the garlic sequence on the left hand side so each time you do that and you spot a target and when you are when you're hitting like so the garlic targets just from what i remember like the, don't the the inserts change colors right aren't there different yes. stages yes for each one and then can you also explain like give an example of like what a mode would entail like so each so basically each like each vampire is a mode mm -hmm. um yeah so if you could talk a little bit about that because i that's that's kind of like after I played for a little bit and just kind of got used to the geometry and stuff, I actually was start starting to like try to figure out what the modes were. Um, and there's, and the, how many vampires are in the game? You said 15, right? 15. Correct. And so you will get, and those are randomly chosen. Except correct? for the last one. That's Except correct. for the last one. Okay. Um, yeah. If you could talk a little bit about that, like, like it, maybe maybe if you could describe like if you walked up to the game and you were going to play the perfect first ball like what would the perfect first ball be for you so for me it's always about sequence completion the more sequences you can complete the better your bonus is going to be and this is kind of unusual if you played any of my other games i i'm not big on bonuses typically um so this is the first game that i've made that has an end of ball bonus and I wanted it to be rewarding. So something that you want to accrue and acquire through your ball. Uh, so as you shoot and complete these different sequences, depending on the difficulty of the sequence, your bonus will be increased or multiplied or um, other effects can happen at the end of the ball. Um, so for me, stepping up, if I want to play the perfect ball one, I'm going to try to collect all the tools first and then start the vampire battle, get as many of those shots spotted as possible within the vampire mode, and then slay the vampire. Um, the longer that I find, the longer that I stay in the vampire mode, the easier it is for me to drain. Um, yeah. And I guess that, you know, that's true of, of any pinball, but there's added pressure during the vampire battles because 
the walls and scoops, which separate the screen portion of the P3, where the ball is rolling and being tracked at all times, uh, will raise up right in the center, and they block that gobble hole shot. So that's the sneaking shot that I was talking about. So they're constantly moving up and down, and the reason for that is mechanical. Um, I If there's a ball trapped behind it, you know, I want to be able to allow the player to have the ability to recover from that. So uh, I knew that would be part of the design going into this. If I block that shot and a slow roller gets stuck behind it, there needs to be a way to free it. So they move up and down on a pattern. And uh, you can just wait and then shoot the ball right in. Or you can play the mode. And the modes... Uh, all of them, except for one, which is kind of the wizard mode, um, have six different shots that are needed to complete. Now, the shots are randomized, not randomized, that's a bad word. The shots change based on the vampire. So at the beginning of each ball, it'll tell you which vampire that you're going to battle. Uh, and when you start the vampire, when you awaken it by hitting slay and vamp, uh, and the coffin rises up, different inserts will be flashing or uh, the pop bumper will be flashing or uh, a lamp that's underneath the central plastic will be flashing to tell you that you need to hit specific targets or you need to bring the ball back into the launchers or you need to hit the pop bumper in order to stun the vampire. And as you hit these shots and you're working through the mode, uh, the light show changes. So initially... The lights go down when the vampire wakes up. And as you hit these shots, uh, the light becomes more and more intensely bright white, um, as if you're opening a curtain and shining the sun on the vampire. So once you open it all the way, the vampire is stunned and can no longer raise the coffin lids that keep trying to fall. Um, so in that way, you have a clear shot for the gobble hole, and then you can take that and... Um, earn the biggest bonus possible. Uh, so that's my ideal ball one <laughs> is, you know, being an expert at the game. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I found the game to be, I found it to be very addictive. I think it seems because you approach it, it, it you know, because it's, you know, a single level and stuff like that, it's, it's very approachable. It seems like, Oh, it's going to be very straightforward. But yeah, it's like there is a lot to unpack. Like once you start playing, um, I'm not the best pinball player, so I struggled. But that's it that's was, a lie. <laughs> I I I struggled, but I did I did start to get the hang of it. I think like the last couple games I played, I started to really kind of like. Um, I'll say that's part of the P3 system itself having now had mine on location since late July, that's what a lot of my players that I talked to down there have kind of said. It's like, it takes an adjustment period because while it is traditional pinball, it does have differences than traditional pinball. Um, and largely like one of my players is to like the fact that it has multiple flipper buttons confuses me. And I'm like, you can play shadow, right? Like you figure it out over time. Uh, part of the problem is like, shadow you always use those buttons as you switch from game to game on the p3 you don't always use those buttons you know and as simple as that might be for those of us that are 
ingrained in pinball or ingrained in the P3 system itself, it does definitely throw off new players to it. But as far as what you were saying about the game drained Taylor and its addictive nature, uh, that is what I've experienced in my uh, personal time playing Ranger in the Ruins, uh, Nick's other game that was designed for the cosmic kart racing play field. And we've had that on location now playing Ranger in the Ruins for I think almost six weeks. And like, wow. it's one of those games that I just, when I rarely have time to be down there actually, but when I am, I can play a couple games on it because it's so brutal and so fast. And I always just want to play like one more. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago. I've started bartending at my location on Wednesday nights and we close at midnight and everybody left at like 1145 that night. So I was like, cool, lock the door. I get to play a couple games. <laughs> and next thing I knew it was like 1245 and I was like, oh shit, I got to go home. So <laughs> yeah, like I thought it was just going to be a game or two. And then I was like, oh, I got five items. I can get, I can get more. I'm getting closer. And you, you, you've got a natural knack for programming things that, give you that one more game quality and not everyone who designs pinball machines have that like their game could still be really fun like i like the walking dead but i have a game on it and i'm like cool i can play walking dead again next month i'm good like i'll walk away and be fine with that i have not experienced that with ranger in the ruins like every time i play it i want another game on there wow that's huge praise thank you tommy i think think, thank you you've brought me fun and enjoyment man i appreciate it (laughs) i think one of the things that's like a lot of modern games you know, it takes a half an hour to get into the game. Like this, you know, uh, a game with a simpler rule set, it feels like you are just, you're just thrown into it. Like everything matters. It's not like mm-hmm. you've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got to build up, you got to get to the mini wizard mode before you're really going to make any points or really see the story unfold. Like here, it's just like, boom, you're in it. And yeah, I think that that's, I think that that's a thing where it's just like, you don't have to, you don't, yeah, you just don't feel obligated to, you know, try to survive to, yeah, to, to seize anything. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I think that, I think even with like, you know, going over to Nick's house and playing his, um, his multi bingo game, I just, it's so addictive just to plunge like, you know, five balls, try to get, you know, a, a bingo or, you know, it, it, the simplicity of those games is really attractive. And yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like this has the aspects of that, um, which is really interesting in hearing Tommy talk about it with uh, Ranger of the Ruins. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how you are just like you're in the game. Do you think that... um? I mean, obviously the rules are very nuanced though. Cause that's the other thing is like Nick and I were talking like, like while, you know, he's showing me the game and I'm playing and he's, you know, keeps getting into it and getting into it. And it, it's, it is a very nuanced game. And I think, um, as a designer, do you find that like, is the it, getting the information to the player I feel is like one of the biggest issues with pinball in general. Like how did you, because the game is simple, the layout is simple, but it's obviously nuanced. Mm-hmm. How did you, how do you approach that as a designer trying to get the player who's immediately like, that's the other thing is you're thrown into the game. You don't have this like 30 minutes to kind of like build up to go oh, if, I, if I do this enough times, it's going to light this. It's like, you're in it. You've got to know what to do. Yeah. How do you convey that? to the player when they step up to your games 
So I take a lot of lessons, again, from EMs and wood rails, especially. Um, the wood rail games <clears throat> are just beautiful in the way the rule sets are designed. Um, they have uh, a simple way of identifying which shots are important uh, because it's it's actually screened right on the play field. You know, this one is worth 10,000 points or it's worth 100,000 if you complete whatever sequence. <clears throat> so that's something I feel in a modern context, which has been lost. And I know we've talked about this before, Taylor. When I come over and play some of your games, I have trouble identifying what what I'm actually shooting for. And I know I sound ridiculous sometimes when I, I say that, but uh, I have not... In playing a lot of EMs and wood rails, the thing that I find is that I spend a lot of time looking at the play field while I'm playing. I don't spend a lot of time looking at the back box. And uh, modern games, some modern games, have these extremely in-depth rule sets that require you to spend a lot of time looking and planning on the back box. But in a, a reflex-style game where you're flipping and you're trying to stay alive, and you're you're planning your moves based on the shots which are lit on the play field, that's not um, the way that I prefer to play. So I try to gear my games, and it's kind of a difficult task, but I try to gear my games to different types of players, new players, people who've never played pinball, expert pinball players, and I know the game sounds difficult, because of that extra drain, which is on the play field, but the way that I communicate to the player and, and what they need to do and how they need to do it is through the combination of the light show. So I flash the lights, which are important. I flash them in distinct colors and explain what those colors are either through choreography or through gameplay. So when you start the ball, every single ball, uh, the lights for slay and vamp, are flashing red, and when you hit them, they light solid, so you know you've already hit it. Uh, but I also utilize the P3, and the P3 is fantastic for uh, providing information to the player on the screen. You can provide text for the player to read. You can provide context with virtual inserts. You can provide moving targets that the player can hit. So in Drained, I use a combination of all three. Um, Again, using the example of Slay and Vamp, you hit Slay or you hit Vamp and it lights up virtual inserts, which are down on the play field in front of the player near the flippers. So as you're looking down at the play field while you're watching the ball, you're also getting the message of what you've hit and what you need to hit. Um, that's included with all the sequences. So you spell out garlic. You can look at the play field at a glance if you choose not to look all the way in the back where the action's happening with uh, the slings and everything, you can see which letter in garlic you need in order to complete the sequence. Um, so it's, it's a handy way of communicating uh, directly to the player. And the same goes for score. So score is very important. Uh, it's, there are pinball games which have story elements and, and, um, situations that you're trying to complete in order to advance a narrative but setting that aside the basic concept of most pinball games is that you're trying to get a bunch of points and points only have meaning within 
the context of of any game that you're playing. So if points are the major thing that you're trying to acquire, it's important that they're in front of the player and you're able to see them easily. And so that's another thing that the P3 does well because uh, I've got a little uh, virtual cutout down right below the flippers. Uh, and that's typical on most P3 games where it'll show you your score um, and the score of anybody that you're playing with or against. So um, it's pretty a pretty cool platform for being able to communicate effectively to the player and players of all different skill levels. Um, so does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, once you started talking about how you can communicate everything with the screen on the, you know, basically like the player is looking down at the play field at a monitor. Right. So it's, mm -hmm. it's all there. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that, the, you know, I think that's the biggest thing when I talk to people about just pinball in general and in the way rule sets have gotten so complicated and so deep. Um, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like, drains the like i was saying you know it's it doesn't seem like it's that complicated but once you get into the nuances especially like when you when you're when you're explaining it to me as i'm playing it i'm just like there's so much more to it than i am aware of um and obviously like you know you're designing it so you have it's all in you know it's just it's natural for you to understand that that's something you need to shoot for. I mean, I, I just think it's interesting as for, as a designer now that you've, you know, you've got five games under your belt and now you have a module, your first module. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, I guess kind of moving on, but what, um, like, wh why did you decide to do an actual module? I, I, I've been thinking recently about your game and I was thinking about, um, you know, I know that you come from like the hardcore scene and kind of there's a, a lot of DIY aspects to that type of music and stuff. And I think that that's something I think is really interesting about what you've done and have been doing in pinball is that I really see that that DIY mentality of like you have an idea that you want to see that doesn't exist. Right. So whether that be a multi bingo, multi horse race game or using the platform to do like uh, like a DDR type of thing and to now get to the point of doing a module like what pushed you to that point where you were like I'm just going to I'm going to make a game I need to make a game on my own like what yeah what yeah just if you could talk about that yeah and um it's just always been of interest to me um when I first saw the P3 I thought what an excellent idea um, having a modular platform where anybody can create a module and um, anybody can can be a designer, essentially. But, um, but it's more complicated than that. I mean, that's oh, the thing is like, I mean, to say that, oh, well, anybody can build a module. I mean, it it is way more complicated than that. It's, it's a lot of work. That's okay. for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not trying to minimize the amount of work that it is, uh, believe me, but um, it is... It is accessible. So if you if you have the interest, um, Multimorphic has a, a free SDK that you can download that includes module specifications. 
And so, uh, for example, I mentioned I'm pretty old school and I, I drew the thing first. Um, and I used hand tools to route out the initial whitewood. Well, you know, typically you would uh, design it in CAD and then have the first whitewood CNC'd. But I don't have a CNC machine and at the time didn't have access to one. Um, so in order to to make my vision a reality, I had to, you know, get creative, do it by hand. Um, and as far as the drive to do it, it's it is exactly what you said. It's something that doesn't exist currently. There's I feel there's a a small <laughs> gap in the market as far as having uh this this accessible uh rule set and play field layout that anybody can step up to and play but also mixes in these extremely modern elements uh like the on-screen ball tracking um orbit shots without switches um all kinds of different aspects and you know the ultra modern led light shows you know all the things that can come together and make a beautiful modern pinball game, but with an accessible and uh, easily understood rule set for the basic portion of it. Hit the flashing shots, shoot the gobble hole, you're good to go. Um, so that's that's kind of the idea, um, the basic idea. And then the drive to do it, well, you know, I'm fairly driven. So I... <laughs> And yeah. well, well, you are obviously incredibly driven just from a casual person who's I've seen the appeal of the P3 and I'm like, OK, maybe I can do something one day. Um, I want to say, like, I've seen the community having been on the discord for over a year now is incredibly helpful because while you've been obviously the most successful, most successful and driven in creating games for the P3, there's a lot of people out there who are working on things. So that's like another thing that has intrigued me is like they all seem to be willing to help each other. And I know you help a lot of people, just as you said, a lot of people helped you along the way on this. Oh, yeah. um, it's a really cool community as well. It is. So uh, because I didn't have that cat expertise, another friend of mine, uh, Anthony Swan, uh, did all the CAD layout for me. So I hired him to uh, do that. And then I was able to use his work in order to get the next whitewood cnc and um i was able to go from there so small adjustments were made over time um but that second bite at the apple was close to what the finished product was um it required if i told you all the tiny movements it would uh drive you insane like it did me but <laughs> things shift you know just a fraction of a fraction of an inch but uh it changes the way that the game plays in uh, just a remarkable uh, way. So, but getting that rough concept was important in order to move to the next phase. And I feel like um, it was very helpful for me to solidify some of the design ideas that I had. Um, so initially I tried different things um, with post-placement in between the different targets and the the basic post placement on on kind of the sides of the module the garlic and the stakes has remained the same but the post placement below the central targets is very different than it was initially um the 
targets. I have two oblong targets on either side, and I call them the cape shot uh, based on the artwork. But those didn't exist in the first whitewood. I, I added them because I realized that I was hitting a lot of posts and I wanted some kind of reward for the player, even if they were bricking every shot. <laughs> you know, need to, need to give the player something. So um, that's what those were for. And then integrating those into the rule set was something that came later. Uh, so one of the things we haven't talked about is that I've added um, challenges for very good players like taylor's caliber um where uh there's combo shots and you can start a combo either on the left or the right side and there's two different sequences and so there's this really cool well i think it's cool a chase light show that runs around back and forth on the play field as you hit these different combo shots um each combo sequence has six different shots you might notice there's a repeating number in this game six is kind of the key number but um as you chase through uh the shots get more and more difficult and one of them culminates with specific drop target shots which is is pretty pretty rough um but if you can do it it's it's very very rewarding and uh the reward on the bonus side is also well worth it I don't think I made any combos when I was at your place. I will say that. Like I, cause I think you pointed those out like kind of later and I was mm -hmm. like, and I, and I started to shoot for them and I was just like, Oh, I can't even, I can't even like start to like add that to the gameplay right now. Um, but it was cool that it was in there. And that, that goes back to like the whole, like, yeah, once you start playing it, very, it seems like a very simple layout, like pretty simple idea, but then there are these like nuances and it is about, I, you're calling it a bonus because that's kind of, you know, it's like the end of the ball, but it is like, that's your collect shot. So it is like, that's where the value is in the game, right? Like points right. wise, it's like, it's really like you're building it up to slay the the vampire. And that is your, that is your, those are your points. So I don't know, calling a bonus is, it, it seems weird because I always feel like bonus is kind of like. Uh, it's just some extra stuff, but this is really, it's the meat, right? The meat of the points is in the slaying of the vampire, it's, right? It's integral to the game. Now yeah. you can, you can earn a lot of points on the play field. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're, you're correct. I wanted to, to make that very rewarding. And so the, the context that we all have to frame that in is, is the end of ball bonus. Yeah. Um, but you can multiply, you can start playfield multipliers. If you hit the pop bumper five times, oh, that's uh, right. that's it'll right. increase your your multiplier. So you can rack that way up. Very difficult to do because depending on how you've got things angled, you're not going to hit the pop bumper on a solid shot. And then they zip back to your flipper so fast, it can be difficult to react depending Um but you can increase your playfield multiplier, but holy water, which are, is the hardest sequence to complete because it's behind the pop bumper, will increase your bonus multiplier. So if you can increase that bonus multiplier to a high number, uh, it is extremely rewarding. Um, and I should also mention all the talk of spotted targets and so forth. If you, you can spot complete sequences, so you can spot holy and water without having to touch those targets. Um, so you can go for the low risk shots, like the side target shots. Um, but 
you're playing down close to the flippers. So it's dangerous to stay down there for very long. Um, or you can shoot up to the top and uh, see if you can angle it just so, so that you hit those targets. But that is also very difficult and can be a big ask. So everything on the play field was built with intention and uh, it's intended to reward the player, but also to give the player a sense of risk, a sense of danger. Um, so to make things a little less stressful on the player, uh, there are ball saves. So as Tommy will attest, there are no ball saves on Ranger in the Ruins. Which makes for a very entertaining tournament game, let me tell you. I bet. We have seen some tantrums. <laughs> and tilt ends game on that one. So even if you have uh, the number of balls turned up, uh, it'll still it'll make you watch as your player melts down. So if you if you crank that up to three balls, it's pretty entertaining. Um, but uh, on drained, tilt just ends the ball, and I have tilt warnings and everything. So, <laughs> um, but that's all part of the design and part of the design process is figuring out what is rewarding, what is punishing, um, what the player should be trying to achieve, and what the player should feel with any given shot or action within the game. So everything uh, that you see in any game that you play, not, not just my games, but any game was designed with pure intention. I mean, they figure out everything down to uh, the very minute minutia uh, of any game. So not even just talking about nuanced rule sets or anything, but just uh, the experience of the game. Um, and and that goes for for anybody. But um, regarding my game, can I can I talk about the art for a second? That's what I wanted to go to next, just because <clears throat> I think it's one. Uh, you're, I'm going to spoil earlier, but your your wife is your artist for the game, which I think is just really cool that you guys can work that well together and not murder one another. Because I'm not sure I would be capable of that. Um, and then I just want to talk about the look, like. The look is so unique and incredible and like the color palette just reminds me of centaur which i don't know if that's intentional in any way or not but uh i obviously i love that art package so much that go on tell us more about the art because i'm i'm curious about how that process came around i just love the look of the game yeah um well i uh am really really proud of of the work that molly did she did all of the artwork for the entire game uh there is uh a portion of the animations which i'll talk about that i did but she did absolutely everything else um and so anything that you see within this game and there is a ton of artwork and in fact uh taylor hadn't seen all of the digital artwork the last time that she came over i was still adding in some of the last pieces but um but you had seen all the physical artwork and uh, a good goodly chunk of of the digital so um yeah, Molly uh, is a designer, and um, she went to art school. And uh, I have a an interview with her that'll be going up at, at some point where she talks a little bit about our process and, and working together. But essentially, um, I started looking for artists, and I had worked with commercial artists on different games in the past. Um, for example, the homebrew that I mentioned, which is... Uh, a port of the PC game Quest for Glory. Um, I hired 
a variety of different commercial artists to complete uh, different portions of that game, commercial animators uh, and this wonderful background artist uh, from the Netherlands actually uh, did the majority of the, the stills for that game. But uh, for this game, I had a very specific look in mind, and that was an Edward Gorey style pen and ink uh, drawing. And so I did draw inspiration from Centaur, uh, the black and white art package, black and white and red, uh, and also um, from the work of Python Angelo, um, which was very influential. You know, the first pinball game that I remember playing was Pinbot. And his work is really interesting from an artistic perspective because it's it's almost sculpture with uh, the 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 2D artwork. Uh, the plastics are built up in such a way that they combine to make uh, a three dimensional picture, and it, it's such a cool effect. And I really wanted to try to replicate that with uh, the way the plastics work with the two dimensional artwork on the play field. So I was looking for artists and I, I made some, some posts around and I was talking to different artists and uh, scared quite a few off. Um, <laughs> initially, uh, I approached a few different artists and just the scope of the project uh, freaked a few of them out. Um, it is, uh, I can't overstate, I don't think, the amount of work that's involved in creating artwork for a pinball machine. Um, there is a ton of work. And if you have a single artist who's doing the plastics, who's doing the play field, who's doing the digital artwork, who's doing animation work, um, that's, that's insane. So uh, again, Molly is amazing. And I've always loved her artwork. Um, I'm very familiar uh, I've been, we'd been dating while she was in art foundation at VCU. And that was an intense, uh, first year program at school, at the art school. Um, and she went on to do design, but, uh, I was always really impressed with how she was able to render 2d objects and, uh, the way that she was able to, to render spaces. And she didn't, uh, she didn't do a lot of computer-assisted drafting. It was all manual at the time that uh, she went to school. Um, a little bit of CAD, but not a ton. So um, I was talking with her, and I said, you know, it's going to be probably this amount of money, and we really need to think about how we're going to budget for this because it's, it's going to be uh, a lot of money uh, in order to get the look that I'm going for with this. And I, I really think it's going to make the game stand out. It'll be beautiful. It'll be really eye-catching and interesting. Um, but that comes with the price tag, obviously. And she said, you know, let me, let me try. Let me see if that's something that I can do. And I said, uh, sure, but uh, just make sure that's actually something that you want to do because it's going to be a lot, just a tremendous amount of work. Um, so she said, let's give it a shot. You can always switch to another artist if this doesn't work out. But um, but could you? Yeah, I mean, if, if it had been overwhelming or if there had been uh, 
you know, issues with, with the work that she had done in some way, our relationship is such that she would have understood. <laughs> so, and we, we clarified all that up front, uh, before she started on the project. So, um, she was down to give it a shot and I said, let's go for it. And I think the work that she turned in is gorgeous. Um, you know, I, of course I speak with bias, but, um, she, uh, did everything again in that Edward Gorey pen and ink style. And uh, what I had her do, I would lay out a particular piece that she needed to do. And in some instances, I had a very strong vision for what I wanted. And then we would go through and refine it through a process. And eventually uh, the finished work would appear. Or uh, she would have some rain to do some of her own design choices. So some of Molly's influences in there and typically the more lighthearted or um, uh, humorous elements of the game are touches that Molly put in. Um, and a lot of the the more atmospheric portions are things which I required. <laughs> so um, for example, the if you look at the artwork for the module, there's a vampire with its hands and its hands are pointed in a, a fairly interesting way. If you were to hold your hands in that way, it's kind of an unusual way to hold your arms up like that. But if you notice, the fingers are pointing towards the gobble hole. So that's another wood rail throwback um, because the artwork is actually pointing to a shot that you either want to make or you don't want to make. And uh, it gives that extra bit of integration to the game. Um, the way the plastics are stacked, I had, um, the plastics around the back actually form part of the vampire's face. And then the flat part of the play field that the ball rolls on is a vampire shirt with its arms, but the backboard is the rest of its head and its eyes are inserts above holy and water. So not only do they track that, but uh, they're also integrated with different light shows. So the vampire's eyes will flash, uh, you know, to indicate that you've been killed or whatever the case is within the game. Um, so it's all part and parcel of the, uh, the art package. And uh, I, I just can't say enough good things about working with Molly on this project. She just did such an amazing job. Um, on, the, on the digital side, uh, she made two large background uh, images. And then as you travel from castle to castle, the interiors change. So the same basic premise of that coffin up on the stairs exists in every castle. But then every vampire has their own little personality quirk. Um, and so they have these different, uh, you know, ornaments or, or parts of their castle which are displayed and those change for each vampire. Um, some of them are um, animated or, or interactive in some way. And then some of them are just ornamentation. But um, the, the other piece, which was tremendously uh, just intense uh, as far as the work goes, is the physical component. So doing the... Uh, artwork for the uh, cabinet sides um, or the apron. 
I, again, I had a specific vision for what I wanted for those things and how they should integrate with the game. Um, so it was very important to me that um, everything had a cohesive appearance and that all of the physical artwork looked uh, beautiful, at least I think beautiful, when the game is off or on and the way that uh, the lights interplay with the artwork is also designed with intention. So um, the side targets, uh, there are covers for the side targets, which you can have uh, the ramp returns on the P3 because it's modular. You can take these ramp returns off where you can leave them on, uh, but there are these covers which sit on top of the side targets and those are designed uh, with six different uh, pieces of fine art. They're like fine art parody. Um, and these portraits are all uh, supposedly famous vampires, the way that they've been redrawn. And they all have different framing and, and ornamentation as well. So um, it's, it's just a, a unique art package. And most of it is black and white, but there is uh, some red and some brown and different colors to indicate the different sequences. So it's, it's ways for your eyes to be able to track. And uh, I had a friend over uh, early in the artwork development process and he happened to be colorblind. Um, and so initially the, the way the inserts were labeled, uh, I was using different colors for them. And he let me know that he couldn't tell the difference between some of the different inserts. So um, I ended up going back to the drawing board on on that and then running it by him. And so the final version there is is colorblind friendly, uh, at least with the particular colorblindness that, that he happened to have. So uh, I was grateful for that feedback because that's something that I never would have guessed, you know, uh, or, or uh, thought of. Um, but yeah, Molly's a rock star in short, and uh, she just did. Uh, tremendous job. <laughs> so proud of it. And I, so proud I, of her. I did have a question pertaining sure. to the art. Um, and I'm sure we're, we'll get into this is obviously, like you said, this is going to be a commercial release through mm -hmm. multimorphic. Um, it's, it's actually through my company for me oh, and only games. Through, yeah. Okay. Got you. So will you be building or will they be building? So I will be building. Yes. Awesome. Uh, okay. As part of this, because it wasn't difficult enough, I started a manufacturing company. But that's a that genius. I uh, that was a very good plan. Uh, I was just interested because of some of the previous titles that I have purchased. Mm -hmm. I had the option of adding on artwork packages um, with drained in the description that I've read. At least it comes with all the artwork packages. That's. Uh, essentially, I'm guessing as part of your vision is this is a full package game and that's how you wanted it to be presented? Yes. So um, I see the artwork as as a value add. Um, it's something which I'm really proud of and I would I would love if every user swapped the artwork uh, if they if they chose to do so. But even if they don't, it's something that they can have and hold on to or they can sell it or trade it or whatever they want to do with it once they have it. But I really want everybody to have the option of having that full experience. And so the purchase price includes not only the module itself, but also all of the artwork. As a, as a non P3 owner, mm -hmm. 
so when you when you buy a new module it just comes with the module like does it come with like slingshots slingshot plastics and all of that or is that that's it's, that's separate like that's what you're saying is a separate buy you can yeah. choose to do that because they have cab the cabinet art on the p3 is actually magnetic so okay, you can choose right. to buy the entire cabinet art package and swap it out same thing with the apron and starting with weird al there's even a lit speaker panel mm -hmm. design um i did see that at this time drain doesn't have one is that something you plan to add at all or yes um okay. it, gotcha. the when i started development the specifications weren't available to third parties yet um and so i got uh ways into the art package and then looked at that and said i'll come back to that <laughs> so um at some do, point that it does be. stand out in my lineup with that lit speaker but as yeah. i haven't been operating weird al and that's the only lit one i have it does look weird currently on the machine so i uh I appreciate that there will be others available as it continues to go forward because it is a it is a very sharp looking uh, again small piece of the machine doesn't impact gameplay in any way but it looks good in a lineup definitely draws yeah. people's eyes to the machine. Yeah, and the other piece of that is that my my P3 doesn't have the lit speaker panel. It's it's the older style head, so um, I would need to swap the head or get a new P3 or uh, have a, have a buddy local that had one so that I could uh, take a look at it. But I'm so head down in developing a game, I haven't really reached out to anybody um, that I know in my kind of area that could uh, test it out. But um, yeah, that is that is something that I plan. It will be an add-on, so that will be an extra cost at some point. Um, at this point in time, however, there is no lit speaker panel. So what it includes is the module itself, the slingshot plastics, the side target covers, the cabinet decals, and the apron. So all of that will come with the purchase price of, of the game. Um, do we have a purchase price yet? We do. We do. So the purchase price is $3,500. Um, what? That seems, that seems relatively cheap. Well, <laughs> that's the advantage of having the P3 uh it is and that is roughly half the cost currently of a stern pro which seems to be the next cheapest uh professionally manufactured pinball option out there and which is one of the things that as we've run out of space at my location and i have games that i don't really want to get rid of anymore uh the p3 again i know we've mentioned it but that was like one of its biggest appeals to me is i could have one space at my location and operate multiple games within that limited space at a fraction of the cost of what some other games were costing me. So, uh, yes, the initial investment to the P3 can seem very high, but with the rising cost of premium models and LE models and collector's models from all these other companies, um, big picture, the P3 itself as a platform just made economic sense to me at this point. So... Uh, that's not to say there aren't growing pains with the company as they have been growing and that there's a learning curve to working on the machine. At least that's what I've found. It's not that it's difficult. It's just that it's different from what I'm used to traditionally working on. So everything I go to do when I do have to work on something, um, it just takes me a little bit more time because it's a new platform. I'm sure over time I'll get well adjusted to that. But yeah, um, when I saw your price point, I was like, sweet, 
can't wait to add this to the location. So that was, uh, I was hoping that was going to be where it ended up. I know that's what you said you were kind of hoping for. So that is great news as far as I'm concerned. Well, thanks very much. And uh, thanks for considering operating it. Um, you know, that, that means a lot to me that, that people are interested in my work and uh, particularly that you're interested enough to let other people play it. Um, I, I think um, that's just the ultimate compliment. Thank you. Um, so yeah, at $3,500, you know, I, I spent a, a lot of time thinking about the price point and what you get for the money. And so I mentioned earlier, everything is done with intention with this, um, building my manufacturing, uh, up, uh, in order to, and I've, I've been kind of scaling up for this in the background i say scaling up but it's just me so <laughs> um it's important to remember that for amusement only games at the present time um when i have no orders is just me so if this you know blows the walls down and i get hundreds and hundreds of orders or or whatever the case may be um you know i may need to look at scaling up and adding more people but at the moment i'm the person with the most experience with building this thing. <clears throat> uh, I looked at contract manufacturer and uh, I looked at uh, having multimorphic do the manufacturing and kind of turnkeying it. Um, but at the end of the day, it just made the most sense from a uh, quality control perspective to be able to do it myself. Multimorphic is I, I'm in Richmond, Virginia, as Taylor mentioned, and multimorphics in Texas. So in order to facilitate uh, having them make the game, I would need to spend time out there in Texas um, and make sure that they understand the build instructions, everything you know works according to spec, uh, the stuff that they're putting out is correct. And when problems arise, and they definitely will with any manufactured product, um, you know, it becomes much more complicated uh, to resolve if I'm not, the person who's doing everything, you know, kind of soup to nuts. So, um, that, that was the idea with, uh, doing it myself. And, um, what I've been doing is, uh, you know, putting, putting my <laughs> money on the line and, and, uh, and the, and the bank's money. So I got, a uh, some financing, and I've uh, purchased enough parts to get manufacturing started. And uh, I've got enough parts to make uh, multiple games. And uh, then additional orders, of course, will feed right back into the company and um, build additional games. But the important thing that I want to stress is that I've thought about this and it's not a situation where I'm taking money and I have nothing uh, that will be going out the door for some period of time. Um, it'll be uh, almost immediate that manufacturing starts. Uh, and once it starts, you know, as long as I'm able to maintain uh, supply, and I've been working on that uh, through this entire process as well, um, you know, the, the stream of games going out should be fairly steady. Uh, at least that's the plan. So... <laughs> Um, we'll see as I'm sure you're both aware, um, you know, things can change in manufacturing at any moment. Um, 
you know, stuff goes out of stock or uh, company starts, stops producing, you know, part X. Um, so part of the way that I build this module is that I wanted to make it easy to assemble. Um, and that was because I wasn't sure if I was going to do it or have a contract manufactured uh, facility do it. Um, but also I want to make it easy to maintain. So everything, all of I your appreciate that. <laughs> well, that's another thing. Like I've worked on enough games and I I've done repair work in the Richmond area. I would uh, go and do repair work in people's homes uh, throughout actually multiple States, um, mostly on EMs, bingos and wood rails. But I also did solid state and modern games too. Um, and what I found with some modern games is that it, it can be quite a task just to tear everything down enough to clean it, you know, just get the, get the ball trails off of it. So in order to make that easy, uh, I made it so that the entire module can be disassembled with, uh, three simple hand tools. Um, and, uh, from a top side teardown perspective, I made it toolless. So it uses acorn nuts to remove the plastics. So you just remove all the plastics and you have access to everything on the top side that you need to clean. Um, uh, when you take the module out, I made it so that it, it balances because it's a symmetrical layout. Um, and the way the modules are constructed, they have these launch tubes, which allow the ball to lift up to the top of the play field from the trough. Uh, and I use those to actually balance the module. So if you're sitting it on a flat surface, it'll stand up by itself. Not all the modules do that. And uh, I find it's a, it's a strength when troubleshooting or um, adjusting a target or whatever the case may be, if you're doing it outside of the machine, if it can stand up by itself, it's very helpful. Um, so again, everything done with intention, everything done with the uh, intent to serve multiple goals, ease of manufacture, ease of maintenance, and ease of operation. So I contacted Tommy um, as I was developing the software and asked you what you wanted to see in operator audits. Um, you know, what, what do you like? And I, I contacted another operator friend as well. And, um, you know, you graciously provided feedback on what you'd want to see. And, uh, I've implemented, uh, hopefully everything that you want to see in the game. But, um, as part of that purchase price as well, something that's important to me is getting a, a paper manual. Not everybody works on paper manuals, but to me, they're like gold. Um, Fully I, agree. I have spent, you know, a lot of time head down in a game where a rat has eaten the most important part of the schematic that I need. Um, so having the digital manual is obviously crucial as well, but having that paper option in an area where you have no internet or you're, you only have a cell phone. So you're like <laughs> stumbling through enlarging and shrinking uh, pages, trying to find the thing that you need uh, is really important. So, uh, with each purchase, there's a spiral bound manual. Uh, it includes every game audit and adjustment descriptions of each along with defaults. Um, so you can easily, uh, even though the P3 software and framework facilitates 
resetting your options to defaults, I wanted the ability to uh, communicate to the owner easily. These are the defaults. These are why they were chosen. Um, those kind of things. Uh, and, and to help in situations where you're at a bar and you might not want to spend a while trying to pull up the website and load up the manual. Um, you just have that that handy reference guide right there. Yeah, that's uh, very welcome. I actually was recently working on a game and even the Internet Pinball Database didn't have the full manual. And I was incredibly shocked to find that this game had the manual in it. So I'm planning to get that scanned and submitted to them so that it's out there. So the other like five people who own this machine can also uh, have the manual. It'll be great. Yeah. And the Internet Pinball Database, uh, there are so many uh, places that do such great things for the hobby. But uh, but that is just a very important <laughs> part of uh making it so we can keep these games alive in this case though with the with the brand new game you know hopefully you won't need to touch any of that stuff for a long time but if you do uh having that there i, I just think is really helpful and a, an explanation of diagnostics and all those things so you just have a quick reference on how to check your switches or look at lamps um how they're wired up so you know okay this is connector j7 uh, this controls these lamps. So um, everything is laid out in such a way that it should be easy to maintain and repair this module, um, even in the event that, you know, I get hit by a bus or whatever <laughs> happens. Um, so I, I tried to make this uh, as forward thinking as I could. Um, and just with the knowledge that I have doing in-home repair, uh, and especially on much older games where uh, documentation is sparse or not available at all. Um, you know, what, what do I want to see? And uh, then your input, Tommy, was just invaluable with the operator side because that's not something that I've ever done, operate games. Um, so I have to rely on uh, people that do it. You know, who, who better to tell me? <laughs> uh, I think it's unique too with the P3 because, you know, like I said, mine's been out there, for, I don't know, four months now, roughly. Um, there's not a lot of P3s on location still, to my knowledge, like maybe a handful. Um, so, you know, it's it can see how if it was designed and built by people who have at-home collections, uh, it doesn't mean that they haven't played games on location, but maybe they don't have that experience of looking at what I am going in to look at. Like very quickly, I want to be able to see, you know, how many coins have gone into the machine, uh, what the average game time has kind of been on the machine. Uh, those are like the quick things I look at. And if there's any errors, like the credit dot thing on Valley Williams games from the 90s, very convenient. I go and I look and Shadow almost always has a credit dot. The credit dot is almost always exit tube switch. Check it because nobody ever actually beats the upper play field on location uh, except for like tournament weekend, which is funny because like tournament players will do that all the time, but casual players like that ball doesn't go down the exit tube. So I assume that switch is broken and I go and I test it and Hey, look, it works. So just those little quick things like that uh, come in handy. And maybe those aren't necessarily built in immediately to the uh, P3 platform itself. So having them start to go into new games is definitely uh, something I'm looking very forward to. Uh, I'm blown away by the whole announcement that you're the one who's manufacturing this. Um, Surprise. 
yeah, that's really cool because I've just been waiting quite a while for some games from uh, Multimorphic because they are backlogged and like we all know the supply chain issues. There's all sorts of stuff. Not mad about it. It's just reality of what we're living in right now. Yeah. Um, but knowing that you are doing this yourself and you've already built up a little part stash makes me want to figure out my budget here real quick and uh, <laughs> try to get one of these out on location as soon as we can for people. That's really, really cool to hear. Um, do you have, you know, obviously there's like the perfect world where everyone who owns a P3 buys one of these. Did you have a or small goal in mind where you were like, if I sell this many, I'll be satisfied. Anything after that is like a plus. Do you have that goal? Where you so, want to share that? You know, part part of this, because there's this huge financial aspect in building a company alongside of, uh, you know, the design work and the development work that goes into the game. Um, I wanted to make sure that if I did this and launched it and sold zero of them, we would be okay financially. So, um, you know, anything above zero is good. Um, <laughs> Start with those high bar, goals. Set the bar high, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bar high. Um, if, if nobody buys it, you know, I'll survive and my family will be okay. But if uh, if people buy it, then that's fantastic. And I would I would love for a lot of them to be out there. Um, so, you know, if if you're interested, definitely, uh, you know, order one and, and I'll be happy to uh, to walk you through what's in expected. So remember, just keep in mind that uh, I am the only person who is both constructing these and. Uh, you know, making sure that they get out the door to you. So um, I want to set that expectation because uh, it's important um, that people know that uh, it's just me. <laughs> and you do still have a regular human full-time job as well. Um, and I can tell you from a company that's supposed to just be making pinball machines. I received an email this week that, hey, it's you're, you're up in our queue once you pay us, it'll take us eight weeks to build your game. And that's from somebody that has a whole factory. Right. Um, so yes, just like I'm trying to want people who are listening to this to maybe have a realistic idea. I don't know what your time frame would be, but that's what I was just told from a full-on pinball producing company that exists out there in the last week. So yeah. Yeah. And it's it's the time frames are gonna vary based on how many orders I get. So if I if I get a hundred orders on day one, which would, uh, be, you know, mind blowing to me. But if that happened, uh, then I would need to figure something out because it, it would take me a long time to produce a hundred of them. Um, I'm willing to be employed putting that out there. Shoot <laughs> well, my shot. That's, uh, <laughs> that's good to hear. Um, I don't sleep anyway, so I might as well add another job to the queue. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, Would so you... we'll see how, how it goes. I, I think that realistically, um, you know, my, my thought is that maybe triple digits of P3 owners will be interested in this, but I know that my games are not for everybody. And I know that this game will not be for everybody. Um, and I will not be offended, you know, if people don't, uh, don't enjoy it or it's not their kind of thing. That's totally fine. Um, those that do enjoy it, you know, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to um, 
provide an experience that they want as uh, a collector, an operator, an owner. Um, and, uh, you know, my whole thing is just making sure that I'm able to do this in a uh, manner that gets people their games as quickly as humanly possible, but with the understanding that, um, you know, there are real logistical challenges based on the number of sales that I have. Um, staffing up will not be trivial because I'll have to train somebody on something I'm an expert at. You know, I can, I can build these things blindfolded because I've developed it. I was the, you did put some out for beta. How many of these have you built at this point? So I've built um, two different white woods and then a prototype. And then I've built an additional three samples. Um, so I've got uh, six of them built in total. I reused parts on two or three of them, but, uh, <laughs> uh, or two of them. Yeah. Because uh, I, I switched from Whitewood 1 to Whitewood 2 and just moved the parts over. Um, that was a mistake, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if if you do, well, the mistake was in moving the wiring as well. I tried to do it without having to rewire everything. That was that was a bad move. Yeah, wiring is, yeah, just start from scratch. <laughs> start from scratch, yeah. Yep. Because I would have saved myself a, a lot of headache had I done that. But anyway, um, so... With six of them out there, I have, and and I tried with the samples to see how far I could push it. So how many can I build? How many can I test? How many can I uh, ensure are operating to the level that I want them to be operating on a commercial uh, perspective? And, um, you know, I've, I've got a good idea of what that number is, and that number can change depending on the number of orders that i have in queue so um that's forgive my caginess <laughs> no totally okay i was just just curious questions uh from someone who has the interest in doing what you've done someday um like just so you know i mean i look at you and it's genuinely inspirational to see how you've taken this hobby that we share and you've been able to become like a contributing member to it in such a unique way. Um, Taylor, you've contributed to so many restorations with your Reese rails. I think that is really unique and amazing. I feel like I try to contribute by having a location where people can come and play games. Like that's one thing about the pinball community is I think we all, not all, but a lot of us try to find a way to give back and continue its growth. Although with its growth, there can be like headaches and frustrations. Like most of us love this, unique hobby so much that we go out of our way to promote it um even accidentally at times through our engagement with it and the people that we meet and come across i just think you've taken it to this whole other level in first developing software and then eventually you know a physical game um as you've mentioned you had your homebrew as you call it which is your, your quest for glory as well is there still any efforts being made to one day bring that to market potentially so the deal with that is that the owners of the Quest for Glory IP uh, are Activision. And Activision has been in the news a whole lot uh, based on their uh, treatment of, of women, which has been horrific, as we've seen. But also, um, they have, uh, they're in line to be acquired by Microsoft. So Activision themselves has not been responsive 
however, Microsoft is much more friendly towards these kind of licensing efforts. So my fervent dream <laughs> is that they might uh, be willing to allow licensure uh, once they acquire Activision, should that go through. Um, they still have, you know, regulatory uh, stuff to, to go through before that happens. So it'll be sometime before we hear. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that'll be the next move. Um, and then I just a question pertaining again to the system itself. I can't remember. Have you gotten a Weird Al already? I have, yes. Have you? So in seeing that layout, obviously there's like, it has the, the artwork on P3 uh, play fields are decals essentially correct correct so like obviously it's themed towards that license and it has a mm -hmm. lot of direct license things uh whereas cosmic cart racing cart racing and uh, heist are a little bit more generic in their art design but i was just curious if you have having seen the weird owl layout which is packed and full of all these unique shots and devices and mechanisms like did your brain just start churning about like a custom game to build on that or were you so deep into developing drain that that hasn't even crossed your mind yet oh it it immediately uh came across my mind but yeah it's a matter of prioritization so um flipper foxtrot rhythm explosion came out at the beginning of this year uh, and that to be fair it felt like you built that game in like two days like i know it wasn't but i remember you being like oh i have an idea and the next thing you know people were playing it yeah it, that one came together extremely quickly because i was able to do absolutely everything on it uh except for uh you know generate the music i i licensed the music from uh different creators but um uh yeah that that one was developed at a lull in drain's development so i was waiting on artwork and while I was waiting on uh, actually the um, cabinet exterior artwork, um, we were working together on that, Molly and I. And, you know, while I'm waiting on that, I can't necessarily move the game forward um, because I'm interacting with her frequently and um, letting her know what I like or don't like about what she's done or if she needs to make any tweaks, those kind of things. So, um, but that's not exactly a full-time job. So uh, critiquing artwork. <laughs> it's actually the easiest part is saying, hey, uh, I don't like this, redo it. So um, during that downtime, I was able to develop that game. And I'm very um, familiar with rhythm games. And so uh, I did what came naturally <laughs> and made one. Um, but yeah. With Weird Al, when I as soon as I looked at the layout, I said, oh, this is this is genius. Um, the way some of those shots work and and the way uh, that the ball travels on that play field is really unique and, and interesting, as you said. So um, I came up with an idea. And even though the artwork is, is themed to Weird Al, um, I think Multimorphic does a great job on their play field artwork in not making it so uh theme heavy you know it doesn't say weird owl on every plastic or you know across uh the the front of the module or anything so it's it's fairly easy to come up with a concept that will work and not um stand out to the player in a bad way if that makes sense yeah, um that's that's right it's like almost like a clash of two different themes of right. whatever the gameplay might be meeting that back third of the play field where you're something like, well, that doesn't match up. Whereas 
I, it crossed my mind because so like the Lexi Lightspeed, which is essentially a a space lady crash lands on Earth, I think, and is then going through Earth, but it's kind of like a generic forest looking thing. And I love the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and I've looked at that layout and I've come up with a full fledged idea of how I can theme integrate that into Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and the whole the art that there is there and exists would work with it perfectly. It wouldn't be an issue at all. So I was just curious if that had crossed your mind on, on weird Al. And again, that's even though that's multimorphic's first licensed game, I remember them stressing that like, this is still going to be an open, you know, you can still design what you want on this layout, even though it's a licensed theme, which I thought was cool that yeah. they went, they made sure that was part of their licensing agreement. So that to me is smart move by the company. It's, it's, just a really interesting model and it's it's very developer friendly um so uh with that in mind uh with drained you know i had the same thoughts i mean obviously there's very strong artwork um and theming of drained um but as well one of the aspects that i like about older games is that they tell you what the inserts are for what the targets do um on modern games, it can be a challenge to understand um, what exactly this lit shot actually is. You know, what what does it do if I hit the blue one? And is that any different than the green one, which is lit right beside it? Um, they're both blinking at the same rate. You see what I'm saying? Oh, so yeah. it, it's uh, it can be tough. So on drained, uh, you know, I did label each of the inserts on the artwork. So you can see garlic and steaks, flaming torch, silver sword, slave vamp. But uh, the way that the playfield layout is set, uh, and the way that I've developed the game, third-party development is definitely possible. And one of the things that uh, I did in testing this is testing the uh, first-party games like Shoot and Scoot or um, Barnyard on uh, this module. And uh, interestingly, I found that this module is my favorite for playing Shoot and Scoot because all the targets uh, are arrayed in such a way that it's uh, easy to hit the appropriate lane, at least to me, who developed this game. So maybe that's part of it too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the big component of Shoot and Scoot is you're trying to hit a specific target to move your avatar into a particular shot lane um, and avoid obstacles and spikes that'll chop you up or blow you up or whatever the case may be so um even though it's got that strong vampire theme it is um pretty easy to make those shots and and make that adjustment that this is a different game um even barnyard which you'd think uh you know maybe some of the more sinister appearance of the uh vampire would throw that off it's actually <laughs> i find say no that works that works good with barnyard in my brain pretty pretty appealing yeah. and fun yeah so um anyway uh all everything was made with intention and uh third-party development i've included uh the um uh definition file for the module so if you're an interested third-party developer for drained um and multimorphic hasn't uh packaged in that uh, into their latest SDK yet, uh, which they haven't yet, um, but it will be the next SDK release before that uh, is included. If you're interested in developing, uh, just contact me um, at uh, 
any of the addresses at foramusementonlygames.com. Uh, info at foramusementonlygames.com is probably the easiest one to get me. Um, and I will be happy to share that uh, module definition. Um, so there's a few different elements of this playfield which are unique. And I've abstracted away some of the um, ways that coils pulse or um, that you activate uh, different targets. So um, in developer speak, uh, each coil is pulsed for a particular amount of time. And uh, I have settings in the module which allow you to set how strong the pulse is. So drop target reset, for example, you want the coil to pulse more strongly because you want them to reset more firmly because of whatever mechanical adjustment that needs to be made. <clears throat> so you have a software adjustment that allows you to um, kind of adjust out the mechanical. Common in most games. But the thing on the development side is that that's abstracted away. So all you have to do is call a particular event and then it automatically gets the setting and will pulse at the appropriate time. So you don't have to create your own setting for that pulse time, if that makes sense. Nice, which um, basically makes it a little bit quicker and easier for someone developing on that play field in the future, because you've already written in the stuff that's kind of like dropping it into place in the right spot then? Yep, and I've, I've developed alternate uh, rules and, and basic uh, framework definitions for things like the gobble holes so it can launch back into play if you do a particular thing or uh, you can use it as a playfield exit otherwise so um, just all kinds of, of uh, goodies there but speaking of goodies uh, one thing that we haven't talked about is that this game includes a bell and a knocker um, so as part of the sound package one of the things that I wanted to do was to incorporate more of that old school kind of wood rail feel. So completed sequences and a variety of other things within the game will fire off the bell. And then when you uh, wake up the vampire, or if you uh, hit the gobble shot uh, in particular contexts, the knocker will fire. Um, the game also offers replays, uh, which are adjustable. You can either offer free games or... Uh, points where you can turn them off entirely, uh, but those will also fire the knocker. Um, so the knocker is, everything is mounted to the module. So you just have the connectors on the module itself. There's nothing extra that you have to do in order to play drained. And that was also by design. I wanted to make it pretty easy to, to get into the game, uh, swap into it, swap out of it if you want. Um, so that was all all part of it. It's got to be like the first game with a bell in it since maybe Fire. I'm guessing. I, I it's been I, a while. I'm not sure the last one. But I know I, somebody recently modded Stern Ali to have a bell, and they modified the code so that the bell would go off, uh, like the ring bell in between rounds. That was interesting. But yeah, contract manufacturing, professionally manufactured game. It's got been a while since there's been a bell in a game. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, and of this particular type, it's, it's, it's been quite some time. So, um, it, it's going to be interesting to hear people's reaction to that. I, I think it's, it's fun and surprising and unique, um, especially in, in the modern landscape, uh, where we're so used to, um, 
particular soundscapes from games, um, very theatrical. Um, and this, this is a bit of a return to, um, what, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy that tactile feel from pinball. So that tactile reward, you hit the shot, you hear the bell, um, you understand you've done something of consequence within the game. Um, so that's, that's really important to me that that feeling comes across and we haven't talked about the composer. And that was something that Taylor mentioned at the beginning, but I hired a composer named Charles Wolf and he, uh, did all of the music and sound effects for the game. Um, the voice call outs were all scripted by me. And then I hired 17 different voice actors. Uh, there's a different voice actor for each vampire and then a different voice actor for the two main characters. And the main characters swap back and forth based on sling hits. So uh, you'll get call-outs throughout any given ball from either of the central voice actors. Um, one of the central voice actors is uh, really upbeat and kind of oblivious to what's going on. Uh, says a lot of jokes and, and puns and things. And the other is a lot more serious and... Uh, just very, um, uh, just deathly serious <laughs> about the whole prospect. So still uh, says the occasional joke, but they tend to be uh, a little more grim with the, the way their delivery. So um, that was really fun. But Charles Wolf was a dream to work with. He uh, is a classically trained composer. And uh, I was looking for a chiptune uh, composer. So I wanted kind of a Castlevania esque soundtrack to the game. I'm a huge fan of the eighties Castlevanias in particular. And, um, I was hoping to find somebody that could embody that, um, kind of spirit that, that those games provide with their music. And I think he just knocked it out of the park, uh, to, <laughs> to use a, a tired phrase, but, um, he just did an amazing job. And, and if you'd like, uh, I, I did do that interview with him and, uh, I found him just a, a fascinating person to work with. Uh, I've had the great fortune of working with, uh, multiple, uh, fantastic musicians and composers. Uh, Scott Denisi did the, uh, music for Silver Falls. Um, and, uh, I hired a bunch of different musicians and then did the reorchestration of all the music in Quest for Glory. Um, but working with Charles Wolf uh, was really special as well as working with all of those fantastic people that I mentioned. Um, he really understood the project and he brought a uh, passion to it that I was, I was really pleased uh, to have that energy kind of match. And uh, we really worked well together and he was able to turn things around super quickly, um, revisions. So part, this was his first pinball project and he played pinball, but he wasn't uh, super familiar with um, different aspects of pinball, like uh, a tilt sound effect needs to be relatively quick because you're, you're warning somebody, hey, you, you did something bad but you want to get them back into the soundscape of the game fairly quickly. Um, so those kind of things needed a little bit of back and forth, but uh, I, I will 
just say again, he was amazing to collaborate with because he understood exactly the vibe that I was going for and was able to provide it very uh, well. So, um, and Taylor, you've, you heard the, the finished audio. Um, would, would you say that it, it goes well together? It flows with the, with the game, the vibe of it? I don't remember a ton of it, but I don't, it wasn't <laughs> like it. I mean, I felt like the whole game worked well together. So it definitely, you know, it wasn't one of those things where it's like, Oh, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, it but it um, didn't stand out in a bad way. Huh? No, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've heard of the preview from the awesome uh, promotional material you made the postcards. Yeah. That, that yeah. actually play on a vinyl record player. And I've listened to mine several times. I just think that was such a cool idea for you to put some of the music out there that way. And, uh, yeah, I agreed. As soon as I heard it, uh, when you first shared it, I was like, oh, this is like Castlevania. That was immediately yeah. what popped into yeah. my mind. And that was before, I because I think the sound leaked out before the theme had it all and anything like that. And like Castlevania was the first thing that popped into my head. And you probably like snickered if I said something about it. But yeah, once the theme was fully announced and there's like the whole uh, play on words of drained, obviously being the vampire context, but drained also being what we do in pinball. So like you've, it really is just clever uh, and, and well, well done on the whole design aspect of the, the theme and the machine itself. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun to, uh, to create this game and I am so excited to be able to share it with people after working on it for uh so long for me um so i started this uh, i was just looking back i started this in august of 2021 um and so it's it's been about a year and a half that i've been working on this game um and i have uh really tried to to make it something that is fun and enticing to uh different players and and i hope i've succeeded but uh, I really um, am excited again to uh, to see what the reaction is because at this point, when we're recording, I don't know. Uh, you know, again, it could be that it, nobody wants to buy it. Although Tommy has indicated that you'll, that you'll might have be one sale. Uh, <laughs> there I, we I go. Anticipate it being ready so soon. So, like financially, it might take me a little bit. But yeah, this will definitely be going on location at North End Pub in Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, at some point, uh, both because one, uh, I love to support fellow hobbyists who are making things in our hobby. And two, I'm genuinely intrigued uh, by the entire design of the machine. And I love the look of it. So like, yeah, I, I want it out there and I want people to be able to come and try it out. Uh, that's one of the, one of the motivations I had for operating the P3 to begin with is that I know they offer unique uh, games that you can't play everywhere else. Um because there's not many of them out there. So I like to put things at my location that are unique. And like, I think it's really interesting because this has the potential to be very rare and unique, even within the P3 side of things, um, especially again, being in public. So yeah, you will have a one guaranteed sale. Uh, there we go. Just give me a little bit of time. <laughs> <laughs> like when you say immediately, we're recording on Tuesday, November 15th. Like when, when can people order this? Do we have a date or is it just like when you decide? So um, I'm glad you asked Tommy. Uh, the reveal stream is planned for November the 28th and that's uh, 
twitch.tv slash Buffalo Pinball. So uh, Kevin from Buffalo um, was one of the beta testers. And he has uh, graciously agreed to do the reveal stream. Um, and he's been a great collaborator, uh, has brought uh, an interesting rule to the game. Um, so initially, uh, the walls and scoops lift and lower based on a, a time uh, frame. But it was possible to sneak a ball in the side uh, just based on the geometry and wild bounces. Um, you would have to do it at just the right angle and just the right time, but it was possible. So I was trying to think of a reward that would be useful and um, kind of cool. Uh, so what I ended up doing, because that only happens during the, the vampire battles, and this was Kevin's idea, was to spot one of the shots in the vampire mode if you happen to bounce into the scoop. Um, and so it gives you that bit of progression, a few points, but um, really it's it's a very valuable shot because some of the shots within those vampire modes are very difficult to hit. Uh, for example, <laughs> Taylor's not As soon as you started describing that, I immediately thought Dirty Pool was coming. <laughs> um, so yeah, each vampire... Uh, has different shots which are required and and some of them it might be holy in water um all the way in the back and and those are those are difficult shots to hit so um if you're not totally dialed into the geometry um you know or have have a good way of hitting the top of that pop bumper um it's it's very difficult to get those on a on a random bounce so um uh being able to spot those shots is kind of crucial. And that's, that's the idea of collecting those tools before you start the vampire battle, because spotting those can be key depending on the vampire. Uh, some of the vampires have very easy shots and it just depends on the theme of the vampire. So each, each vampire's personality quirk is present in the shots, which are required to complete that mode. Um, and the light show is also indicative of that vampire's unique personality uh there's a different uh set of coloration for each target uh based on the vampire um so uh and taylor also when you came over you had a great idea i thought um we had talked do you remember this oh yeah yeah um we had uh talked did i have the uh on-screen targets active at that time when you completed the side targets i think you i think you had some of them okay yeah because we we definitely talked about those so um there's a, a hurry up which will happen randomly throughout the game and it's a bat that will appear in one of three different positions uh that bat is <laughs> programmed to be enticing to shoot uh the music totally changes uh, there's a big call out, uh, big light show kind of build up to this thing. And when you hit it, it's very rewarding. You get you get that uh, uh, sound effect hit and light show again. But the way that it's structured, it's a risky shot. Each of the three positions that that uh, hurry up target can appear is kind of risky if you hit it dead on. So um, you got to balance the the risk with the reward, but it's hard not to take the shot if it's present. Um, when you complete the side targets, uh, 
there is a special hurry up shot that is either a uh, group of rats or a group of spiders that will come across the screen and you can hit those for a few extra points um, but there's also uh, timing based changes within the game they're disabled by default uh, but they can be enabled and uh, all this is outlined in the manual but uh, one of them is a midnight madness mode and this was it's a great idea <laughs> oh, I like that I people, get, I, people used to stay at our location. Now we close at midnight, but pre-COVID, they were open until two, and people would be like fighting over Congo for Midnight Madness. It was hilarious. <laughs> well, I give Taylor full credit for this suggestion uh, because uh, he suggested, "Hey, Midnight Madness, uh, people love it." And I said, "You know, that's a that's a great great point." Um, I've never added a Midnight Madness mode to any of my other games, but uh, I thought this would be fun and thematically appropriate i um, think i think that yeah i think the theme is just perfect for it um yeah i have another idea but i don't want to say it because <laughs> you got to get the game out there but you yeah. could you could do it where you tied it to um like sunset like i don't know how that how you could do that but well there is another timing based easter egg it's not oh. a, not an everyday thing but it it might be tied to particular day or days. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I um, love that. I love that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I, I felt like it was a perfect, I mean, a midnight Mattis mode is also great because it's one of those things where you just want to be playing at midnight, you know, like yeah. that's such a treat in itself. And then you, and then it happens or happens unexpectedly to somebody. That's always fun too. When somebody's like, what, I don't even know what's going on right now. Um, so yeah. So uh, shall I spoil what happens during Midnight Madness? No. Should, no? No. Let, let I know. the players find out. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Don't spoil it. Yeah, okay. that should be a surprise. So I'll, I'll stream it eventually. We'll, we'll get it in the future. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so the, the other on-screen target that I added was an alley pass target. Um, as you go through the in-lanes on either side, a moon will appear and it'll cycle through the entire uh, life cycle of the moon. I and saw while, that. Yeah. While the moon is active, if you hit it with an alley pass, well, it's intended for an alley pass. You can hit it with a random bounce, but it's tough. Um, then you get some extra points and a little light show and a little sound effect reward. But uh, everything I should mention builds to different high score tables. There are a ton of high score tables in this game. Uh, I count left orbits differently than right orbits, for example. Uh, those alley pass shots are on their own high score table. Um, everything uh, is intended to be rewarding and and lightheartedly amusing uh, in some way. So um, hopefully all that comes across when you see the game. <laughs> I think it's I think it's inevitable that once once people um once people see the gameplay that are going to want to play it. I think it I just think it's um it's intriguing. It has a beautiful beautiful art package. You know, I think everything is just it's been really well thought out, but it is a yeah, it's definitely one of those games where it's like you just have to get another game and I think that that is what um yeah, I think the, I think it's what's going to make it a successful game. Um, you know, I, I think, 
I think it's, you know, it's a tough thing because, you know, multimorphic is not that game where it's like in everybody's basement. Um, so it is like, how do you get the word out? So hopefully, you know, everybody will tune in to a Buffalo pinball on November 28th to check out the reveal. What's the, um, and after they see the reveal and they want to put in their order, like what's the best way for people to contact you yeah. to actually, you know, if they have questions about the ordering process or anything like that, like what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So um, the ordering process is going to be conducted over email and that's simply so that I can manage it. Um, I'm going to, uh, I took uh, kind of the, the idea from Multimorphic's last release uh, and I'm going to have a first in first out approach. Um, but, uh, essentially there's a website drainedpinball.com, And on that site, there are ordering instructions. Um, it's very, very similar to weird Al. Uh, there'll be an initial communication. You say that you want it, um, to a particular email address orders at for amusement only games.com. Uh, and that's orders plural. And then I will respond back uh, with an invoice for a deposit. Uh, once the deposit is paid, then I will give you your place in line and I'll be able to communicate to you, you know, approximately what your place is, but I won't know until you've paid your deposit um, because I might give you the invoice and then you pay it a week later. I'm not going to necessarily hold your spot for somebody else who's going to pay. Um, people who pay money are going to get the thing before people who hold on to an invoice for a month, if that makes sense. Um, Seems and that, like a smart business choice. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so, and and again, this is all structured to be self-sustaining. So um, people obviously have to buy the thing in order for me to fund additional uh, modules and so forth. Even with the funding that I had initially, that went to paying for these initial um parts allotments and everything. So um, once these initial ones are sold through, then uh, there'll be a queue. But the idea is that I'll be ordering parts right away um, as soon as the first order comes in. So it should be, um, I should be able to uh, roll everything forward on and on uh, and get everybody their games as quickly as I humanly can. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah the ordering process should be fairly straightforward uh if you have any questions feel free to reach out to me um you can either reach out to me at orders at for amusement only games.com and baldridge at for amusement only games.com uh info at for amusement only games.com they all go to me so <laughs> um, you are the company correct Support yes. at foramusementonlygames.com. And that's an important thing to note as well. I'm doing all the support for the module. So if you have problems with uh, the artwork that you receive or you have problems with the module, um, you'll need to reach out to me at support at foramusementonlygames.com or any of the other email addresses, but ideally that one so that I can uh, help prioritize myself. Uh, but uh, at any rate... Um, Hopefully you won't have any issues, but should you? Um, and as I say, it's inevitable. Uh, these things are manufactured by hand. Uh, they're tested by hand, but then they're going to be shipped uh, across country or around the world. And uh, 
something could happen anywhere once it leaves my custody. So I want to make sure that everybody is totally satisfied or as satisfied as they possibly can be with their purchase. So um, I take warranty very seriously. There's a warranty, a written warranty, which is included with the manual. And uh, I have matched the terms of what Multimorphic provides as a first party, which is two years. Um, so should you have any issues with the module, uh, obviously you can reach out at any time within that two year period and, um, I'll be sure to take care of you. And, uh, if you have issues afterwards, obviously reach out as well, but, um, that's the warranty covers the, the first two years. That's awesome. That's great to hear because some pinball companies I know do not offer warranties nearly that long. So that is uh, excellent to hear. And again, I think uh, your reputation is very well respected within the hobby and people who are going to be buying this understand they're buying a product that you're endorsing and not only endorsing, but designing, building and manufacturing, uh, which is amazingly impressive. And that just says a lot to me about what the quality of the product will be. I, I hope everybody feels the same, but uh, obviously I am interested in making sure that all of my customers are taken care of, feel like they're getting a value for their money, uh, all of the things that we all want from every product that we buy. So if you're not feeling comfortable with this model, you know, I apologize. This is what I'm able to do. And um, you, you don't have to have to buy it. Don't feel like you need to buy it if it's not something that you want. If it is something that you want, I'm extremely flattered and I'm really excited to get it to you. But um, uh, again, I just want everybody to understand what's involved. Um, and as a side note, or a main note, really, uh, I just want to say that Multimorphic is a dream to work with. They have been so amazing throughout the process of creating uh, my homebrew quest for glory, um, understanding the platform and the software and what's involved with programming for the different play fields. But they've also been amazing in their support of all the commercial games that I've made. And that learning experience and that communication chain has been invaluable to me uh, for building this game. And they have been extremely supportive. This is the first third party module for the p3 and they've been just wonderful to work with and if anybody out there is interested in pursuing this you don't have to take the route that i took to get here this is just nick's crazy way of doing it but um reach out to multimorphic and and get that process started as as tommy mentioned there's a discord uh we all try to be very helpful um and we're all interested in what everybody's, you know, up to, um, both as consumers, but also as um, third-party developers. So uh, there are multiple people, as Tommy mentioned, that are making modules, and they might be approaching it in an entirely different way than than I am. Um, I just happen to have uh, run across the finish line first, but uh, it is it is an intense uh, amount of work, as Taylor mentioned to get to this point. Um, and it is extremely rewarding to see people play my game um, in a location that's not my home or a show that I brought my own game to. 
So I, I am just so grateful for um, the opportunity that Multimorphics provided with this platform. The logistics for shipping and constructing a module are so much easier than constructing and shipping an entire pinball machine. Um, it, it just makes this all possible. And uh, they're just great people uh, and great to work with. So, um, yeah, uh, multimorphic. However, this this game, again, I will stress, is for amusement only games. It's it's my product. It is not a multimorphic product. So, um, again, if you need support or if you're interested or uh, if you want to order, it's all for amusement only games. But um, drainedpinball.com is the the main takeaway though <laughs> so drainedpinball.com get those orders in looking forward to the debut stream on november 28th on buffalo pinball's twitch stream $3,500 play field plastics apron cabinet art um in the future there may be a lit speaker panel that will be an add-on uh 15 vampires hand-drawn artwork uh, amazing Castlevania like soundtrack. Uh, I'm excited for this game. I'm excited for you to be able to, to do this. I can, I know that it's my dream to one day eventually design something that people can play. So I'm sure, like, I can't imagine the excitement that you're feeling seeing this come to fruition, uh, especially after all of the, I can't even imagine the hours you have spent on this in addition to everything else you have going on in your life. So uh congratulations you're so close to the finish line of like shipping these things out there as a commercial product it's just really freaking cool to me yeah congratulations nick i um yeah i look forward to uh to seeing um i, I look forward to seeing the stream and i wish you nothing but success with this project so hope you uh hope you sell too many too many units and then you have <laughs> to you know have to hire a bunch of people and yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Um I uh I agree that that would be really cool on one hand and really scary on the other. So. Very scary. <laughs> <laughs> but um thanks so much for all your support guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Everything. And uh Tommy, your your support of operating one of my games and uh just being able to hear your experience with it uh is is just so cool. I can't tell you. Um, yeah, I'm like I said, man, I'm proud to have it out there. And I genuinely really like nothing against Weird Al. It's a cool game. It's got a lot of unique things. Uh, Ranger in the Ruins is more fun on a game to game basis for me to play F currently. So like that's uh, I why I've left it on there. I didn't change it to, to Cosmic Kart Racing or anything. I just uh, I enjoy playing Ranger in the Ruins. And I'm fortunate that my location lets me operate things I want to operate. So everyone else is going to play Ranger in the Ruins for a while. They're stuck with it, huh? <laughs> they are for a while, at least. We'll see. Uh, I've got Heist coming, and I've got Lexi Lightspeed coming. Uh, and when those come here, obviously, I want to get those in there and experience them myself because I've only played them at shows, uh, and I want to see what other people think of them, too. But, yeah, Ranger in the Ruins. Uh, yeah, like, I think some of the similar aspects to this, to Drained, it's, it's relatively simple to understand what I'm going to do, but then the ability to do it game to game keeps drawing me back in there. So, I, uh, I look forward to this and any other future projects you continue to work on, uh, be it this platform or anything else. And one day I'm going to make it to a show and I'm going to get to play the multi-bingo as well. Awesome. Well, I, I look forward to that day. And uh, 
thanks thanks again so much guys for having me on to talk about this i i could not think of anyone i would rather talk to about this than uh my friend taylor and my friend tommy so thanks so oh, much man. for thank, me on. thanks so much oh and side note thanks for the the book for my son conrad but he will not go the f to sleep still so uh <laughs> he's sleeping like five to six hours total a day um my life is so different taylor we will catch up on all of this at some point we will uh, but it was we good will. to see you good yeah to man see you, nick thanks again for coming on this flipping podcast to talk about your project drained i gotta go make a peanut butter jelly sandwich because i haven't eaten yet and go to sleep because oh, i have another wrestling practice in six hours <laughs> all right well thanks so much for uh for doing this guys i really really appreciate it oh it was our pleasure nick baldridge for amusement only games with drained that's um the newest title from for amusement only games streaming november 28th on buffalo pinball and um we'll be coming to a um at least a location in uh, lafayette indiana soon yeah. there so, will be one in public here relatively soon very exciting all right guys you guys have a good night and uh tommy i'll talk to you soon yeah, we will have to do this soon. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Good night. Good night. Bye. 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 Bye.